passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Dustin, congratulations on a truly special fight. It was an honor to call this fight. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. I'm a big fan of yours. I just love fighting in this organization. Uh, these guys are the best, man. I've, I've overcome adversity so many times. Everybody out there, there's people telling you you can't do it or you're the underdog or you're championed against or telling you not told you're not good enough. I've been told that my whole life and I'm the world champ. If I can do it, you can do it. I just want to dedicate this fight to my wife. We've been together, ten, been married 10 years. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here. There was days I went home, busted and broken. And she believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. This is her belt as much as it is mine. I wouldn't be here without her. I love you, Jolie. The winner and new champion, ladies and gentlemen, Dustin Poirier. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our UFC 236 post show. I am John Pollock, joined as always each month by Phil Chertok, and we are coming off quite the pay-per-view with UFC 236 from Atlanta. How are you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing tremendous, John. Thank you for having me. I, I do have to say I'm amazed that you're able to cover both a UFC event and WrestleMania at the same time while it continues to go on. Uh, sometimes I wonder that myself as well, uh, do, doing both. But uh, there, are, there are no complaints from me tonight after this uh, UFC card, and we will get into that. Maybe two of the best back-to-back fights on a UFC card ever. I think I think we could go pretty high on our accolades just uh, half an hour rem- removed from this main event. The whole card really had great skill level throughout the night. There was sort of only one dry fight, and and yeah, the main event and the co-main event certainly delivered on that interim title moniker. How would you say? Because this was a fight or a card, I should say, that was kind of just. It was the first one where they're doing this new ESPN Plus deal where I heard from numerous people who had a lot of trouble ordering this pay-per-view in the U.S. Um, and I think most people expected the top two fights were going to carry this show. They certainly over-delivered. Uh, but I- I've got to say that this was a card that had this just been on regular pay-per-view. I don't know if this would have been anything people would have been expecting a giant number for. Did you see any differently? No, no, I didn't. Um, the 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 top two fights were very exciting to the regular MMA fan, but the biggest name on the card is Max Holloway, and uh, while he's done okay on pay per view, he's he's never been like a tremendous draw, and uh, Israel Adesanya is developing as a potential draw. So I didn't expect this to be some type of gangbuster pay-per-view. But for the hardcore MMA fan, these matchups were irresistible. Yeah, I, I think that you look at these four fighters on top. I mean, these are, I think, stars of, you know, this and 
almost into the next generation of their potentially uh, big breakout stars. You had the the oldest of the four is Dustin Poirier at the ripe old age of 30. I mean, so there was a lot of youth uh, spread out in these uh, these top two fights. But uh, we're going to get into all of that. This is their return to wonderful Atlanta, Georgia at the State Farm Arena. And we're going to start our recap way back on Fight Pass, which was uh, hours and hours and hours ago as we go back to the opener, which... I'm so glad I have notes here, Phil, because this feels like such a long time ago that I was watching Brandon Davis coming down to bantamweight to take on Randy Costa, undefeated Randy Costa, in uh, what was actually a pretty fun opening fight to start the night off way back at 6.15 p.m. Eastern time as I talked to you at about 2 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it, it certainly feels like yesterday. Um, <laughs> it was uh... Man, you brought your A game tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was an, it was a really great fight. I mean, I was I was a little worried. I was running around today, so I was uh, I thought I was going to miss uh, the opening card, and I, I wasn't terribly disappointed about that idea. So when I found myself able to tune in, I was like, okay, I guess I'll start watching the card right now. Uh, and it was a great fight. I mean, it was back and forth. Uh, Costa came out very aggressive and looked super sharp. Brandon Davis was able to weather the storm and come back. And the first round was very hard to score. I thought Costa was sort of winning. And then that momentum continued into the second round until Davis was able to sort of return fire. Costa just kind of lost steam from trying to finish Davis and then and then Davis was able to just put it on him and secure the rear naked choke. It, it was a great way to start the evening. Yeah, Brandon Davis submits him one minute, 12 seconds of the second round. And afterwards, uh, he called out Sean O'Malley, who's uh, currently under a suspension. And then Joe Rogan was asking him about cutting down to bantamweight and how hard it was for him to come in. He weighed 136 pounds on Friday morning, said... Yeah, I'm about 160 now. So th- there are your weight classes, everybody. A bantamweight that walked into the cage uh, having piled on uh, 24 pounds overnight. Yeah. Um, he, it's You know, he didn't look tremendously bigger than his opponent. They looked very similar in size. So uh, that's the reality of these weight classes yeah. is the amount guys are packing on. And uh, yeah. especially at, at bantamweight. I mean, that's just a ridiculous figure, but it's part of the norm because it's just it's an arms race of size for a lot of these guys yeah um it it, the the discrepancy in the weight classes is so dramatic particularly at the lower weight classes where 10 pounds is a greater amount of uh, body weight percentage so um yeah it's uh i don't like the idea of like these like granular weight classes like they have in boxing, but it does seem like there are a lot of fighters who are not fighting in their natural weight class. We then went to the women's flyweight division. Pollyanna Botelio was coming up from uh straw weight to take on uh, Lauren Mueller. Uh, so this fight started uh, our first of several fights involving referee George Allen, who became Daniel Cormier's favorite referee ever. Uh, this guy was not shy about separations. Uh, there were many notes from those onlookers about George Allen, who had uh, quite the Twitter fame on Saturday night. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I'm, the, the entire card had a lot of unrecognizable referees. I mean, the only referee that I, uh, recognized, I think was Mark Goddard. There's another referee, a smaller gentleman. Jason Herzog was in there. Yes, Jason Herzog. Yeah. So yeah, but no Herb Dean, no, uh, Dan Mergliata, no, none of the sort of more familiar faces, uh, of, other pay-per-views and definitely some local officials and there were there were some odd moments uh but thankfully there wasn't too much controversy throughout the evening no i i thought that uh poliana botelio i felt she won the first two rounds and the second she was landing some elbows against the fence and also was uh, smart with her takedowns in the third that was when mueller finally got some of her striking going and had a good end to the round where she was able to start landing some kicks and then Botelio just went to her back. So Mueller just dove into her guard and that kind of rode out the clock. So yes, she won the round, but was not going to win the fight inside of her open guard. So Poliana Botelio wins this by unanimous decision on, all, well, all three judges scored this one, 29-28. That's what I had it. Uh, Phil, any different? No, I think that was the correct score. It was sort of one of these weird fights where uh, Botello was winning the first and second round up until sort of like the last minute, minute and a half. Mueller caught up in the last minute of that second and, and carried that momentum into the third. And then in the last, yeah, 90 seconds of the third round, she drops – she didn't really drop Botello, but she definitely hurt her with the strike, and then Botello went to her back. This was this was actually less than 90 seconds in, maybe within the last minute, and Mueller kind of had to make a decision. Let her stand up or, or go into her guard, and uh, the, the commentary team was pretty critical of her, of, of making the decision to go into the guard to try to finish the fight, and... Um, I'm not as critical because, you know, if you hurt somebody and they go to their back, it's, you know, you really want to press. Uh, but ultimately that turned out to be the bad decision because, uh, Botello had already secured the first two rounds and was able to survive on the ground fairly easily. And so she earned, uh, that unanimous decision. How did you enjoy the commentary team tonight? And how do you typically enjoy th this particular three man group? I think this is the best three-man group in the business. I think uh, John Anik, I mean, he's such a workhorse. I think where he excels the most is in a three-man team. Yes. I think I think in the two-man team, he's a little bit too colorful. Um, but in the three-man team, he's just right. You know, Joe Rogan's a legend. I, I don't think we need to go over what he brings to the table. And then Daniel Cormier is just so amazing at this. He is so phenomenal. Um, I don't know if it was this, which fight it was. Uh, it may have been this fight where he, he sort of gave this anecdotal story of his fight with, with uh, Gustafson, where he had won either the first or the second round. And just at the end of the round, Gustafson was able to sort of break the clinch and land a few shots. And then he carried that momentum into the next round where he lost, where Cormier admitted that he lost the next round because of that momentum. And it was just the perfect analysis and timing and also level of humility that you don't always see in a fighter it, that just brought so much uh, added value to the commentary. And it, it was just really tremendous performance. And he had a, a lot of moments like this throughout the night.
Yeah, I think this three-man team is f- fantastic. They play off each other so well. They're funny. They're never too um, – they, they never get too far off, but they can have fun on the broadcast. And for something that is going seven-plus hours, you want to have that kind of uh, levity at certain times. And, yeah, I agree. Daniel Cormier has taken to this so well. I just I really enjoy these pay per views where it's the three of these guys and you get a mixture of knowledge. Uh, they'll they're fine to to joke around as well, and it's it, it they just have tremendous chemistry. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a great team, and the UFC has a lot of great teams. Like uh, the the Anik Rogan Cruz team is fantastic too. Like it, it's it's not far behind, but I just think that Cormier offers so much when it comes to the broadcasting side of things. It, it's really impressive. Yeah. I mean, one of their best, I thought maybe we'd get a, a special sit-in from Brian Stan, who they, they just left <laughs> on the floor all night long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they did, they cut to him at one point. They yes. did, they did, they did bring him up, but he was, he was sort of in the background for a bit. <laughs> we had Shaq. Shaq was on hand. Yes. He could have yes. done commentary. Maybe I, he should have come out as Shazam. That would have been wonderful. Uh, Montel Jackson took on Andre Sukumtoth in a bantamweight fight. They noted that Montel Jackson, who again, a bantamweight, has larger hands than Francis Ngannou. Wow. Wow. I, 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 I don't know I physically that how that even works, but that, that's what John Anik pointed out. He said he has larger hands than Francis Ngannou. I just, I can't even fathom that. How a, a man that is 136 pounds uh, has larger hands than Francis Ngannou. Uh, I, I mean, I can only imagine it's a euphemism. <laughs> so, so in this one, we had, uh, Montel Jackson, uh, pretty much cruised to a unanimous decision victory here. Um, I thought that, uh, Sukumtoth really was not all that much into this, uh, fight in terms of a, a competitive sense. Uh, Jackson just slammed him to the mat. He had this Big exchange in the second round, and Jackson just getting the best of it, teeing off on Sukumtoth with all these big shots landing. And then in the second, uh, Jackson hit him low, but then Sukumtoth came back, and it was like he had a fire lit under him after this low blow. And he got a takedown, which Jackson immediately reversed and didn't just reverse. He reversed and mounted him. It was like the worst luck possible for Sukumtoth here. And Jackson just destroyed his ribs from half guard and Sukumtoth unsuccessfully trying for a triangle. So I had Jackson winning easily here, 30-27. The judges had it 30-26, 30-27, and one had it 29-27, giving Sukumtoth uh, a round. I guess I guess Sukumtoth earned the fourth round because it's like there was no possible way that you can conclude that he won any round of this I, fight. I didn't it, know which one you could possibly isolate <laughs> here. It was crazy. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the only moment that Sukumtoth really had—I mean, he did allow some shots in the first round, but it, it was—you know—he did get hit with a, a really vicious low vo- low blow uh, in the third. And at that point, he was already down dramatically. And I think he just sort of like, okay, he's like, okay, I got this rest. Let's just go after it now. And he went after the takedown, secured it, but just got too aggressive and it was reversed. And then it was bad news from there on in. And yeah, Montel Jackson looked very sharp in this fight against a pretty seasoned guy. So good on him. And the fight pass portion was headlined by Bilal Muhammad taking on Curtis Millinder at welterweight. And... 
Bilal Muhammad, he had a it was a very competitive first round here. Muhammad had very good boxing, uh, but got cut up by his left eye and fought for the, for a single leg. Blent Millinder was able to maintain his balance. And then Millinder was using his jab to set up his uh, right hand. I narrowly gave that round to Muhammad into the second. Millinder, in between rounds, tells his corner, I think I knocked his contact lens out. And his cornerman, without even processing this, just responded, Perfect. Now he can't see. And the announcers were eavesdropping here, and their first question was, I don't think he can even wear contact lenses into the cage, and now he may be blind, for all we know, so... But the, 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 uh, that's that's a curious statement. Like I would f- like can, that you would have to let people wear contact lenses. No, like like Anthony Smith, he wears glasses at all his UFC press events. I imagine that's because he needs glasses to navigate the world. So how could you deny him contact lenses? In I, the I'm fight pretty sure that? it's not a rule because okay. I, I'm almost positive that guys have even like lost contact lenses during fights like i I, yes i seem to recall like that's actually happened where they've had to pick it up off the canvas so i don't think that's a rule yeah you wouldn't be sending a guy in there with you know 2100 vision uh muhammad got the takedown off the fence got into half guard um second round was much stronger for muhammad and then into the third round uh this was another dominant round from Muhammad. He briefly had the mount, but then later uh, retook the position and just dominated him for the rest of it. I actually thought the third was a 10-8 round, so I had this 30-26 for Bilal Muhammad. Did you see uh, Millinder winning any round in here, Phil? Uh, I did. I actually had quite a drastically different view of the first round. I thought Millinder kind of really controlled the first round. I thought his strikes were really sharp and were busting up Muhammad. And then uh, in the second round, it was sort of continuing until Muhammad took was able to secure that takedown and then uh, dominated uh, or controlled the rest of the round. And then the third round, I also agree, was a 10-8 for Muhammad. Um, but just the first round was a bit of contention on. But ultimately, Muhammad, you know, grinded this one out. He weathered the early storm and did what he often does. He, he's just such a tough, gritty guy, very skillful guy, almost impossible to put away, secured the takedown and, and outworked Millinder uh, to this well-deserved victory. I mean, he, he, Bilal Muhammad, even in defeat, is is a tough opponent for anyone. And uh, I, I was impressed once again by him. So you're going to remember the name? Uh, am I supposed to? Is that uh, that's his nickname? Did, Bilal, remember the name? Muhammad. Oh my, yeah. Well, yeah, I remembered it already, so you don't need to tell me twice. <laughs> uh, then we went on to the. Uh, the I guess e- you need, maybe he should change it to Bilal. Remember the nickname, or Muhammad. or Bilal twenty twenty vision, or <laughs> wherever wherever you want to go. Uh, so then we go on to the televised prelims, and up first was Boston Salmon taking on Khalid Taha in a bantamweight fight. And Taha came out of the gate and just landed this huge left hook that dropped Salmon, and Taha followed with these two follow-up strikes, and this fight was immediately stopped. Uh, Boston Salmon was... Uh, not too happy with this particular stoppage. I, I didn't see it as any kind of egregious stoppage. He had been totally rocked, and referee Blake Grice stopped this one in 25 seconds. 
Yeah, it was an egregious stoppage. I also didn't think – like I think there was an opportunity for it to go a little bit longer because – but as the commentary team pointed out, uh, Salmon, he just sort of like dropped face first. And it, when you drop face first, it really looks really bad. Um, so I, I didn't have a problem with the stoppage. Um, but I could have seen it go a little bit longer because – on further review, like Salmon only really took a couple of big shots, even though he did land face first. But uh, I don't think it's anything uh, to complain about. And it's it's very late or else I'd probably have a better play on words for Salmon flopping to the mat. Oh, yes. Sal- yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I... I, I, uh, I I'm like my brain is spinning right now. I guess thinking of uh, puns as well, but uh, none are sufficient. Two, two in the morning, oh, we can only do so much. We're only that. we're only sharp at a certain hour of the day, and it certainly isn't this one. <laughs> uh, then we had Max Griffin. This this one had an interesting backstory. Max Griffin versus Zalim Imadeev. Uh, these two used to be former partners at Extreme Couture, and they've ha- turned into this big grudge and. I've seen this story online that, like, Imadeev tried to attack him at the fighter hotel earlier this week. Like, there was some bad blood between these two going into this. And uh, our man George Allen was the third man in the octagon for this fight. Uh, this was a case where I think it ultimately comes down to how you scored the first round. Because it was certainly Griffin's round. He was able to get uh, two body lock takedowns and then was going for this neck crank and... Then, uh, Imadeev kept grabbing the fence. So it led to George Allen stepping in and not just separating them and standing them up, but he docked a point for Imadeev. And that would be very, very vital for Max Griffin. So if you scored this, this round for Griffin, which I imagine most did, it was a 10 8 round for Griffin. Uh, I had Imadeev winning the second and the third round. I thought he came back with his striking. When he was at distance, he seemed to have a lot more success. And it was just when Griffin was able to implement his wrestling that uh, Imadeev had a very hard time once he got taken down to the mat. But he landed some very big strikes here. Um, and Griffin got this desperation takedown right near the end of the fight. And there were these knees delivered to the body against the fence and a big exchange at the end. So I actually thought this was a draw. But Max Griffin got the majority decision on scores of 29-27 twice. And one judge did score it a draw. I had it a draw as well. I thought that uh, Imadeev was able to come back in the second round. And... He just had a continuous pace, and both guys got really tired, but it just seemed like Imadeev was a little bit more comfortable with that pace. And, and Max Griffin, uh, this is in the second and third round, uh, had to, always had to sit, kind of dig deep to get to get back into it. And so, yeah, I did have it a draw. Um, I was with a group of people, and there were several other people there, and they, they did squirt for Max Griffin. So this might be uh, an interesting fight to revisit down the line. Um, I don't think that – I guess you could – maybe there's potentially some controversy regarding the fence grab um, in the first round, whether it's worthy of deducting a point. I didn't think that the point deduction was that bad because it wasn't just a fence grab. It looked like he grabbed the fence and used it to pull himself up. 
And I think it was that pulling himself up action that the referee felt warranted the immediate point deduction. Here's a comment from Max Griffin when he spoke to a MMA junkie this week. This guy tried to attack me yesterday at the breakfast buffet and when we were on the bus as well. Never had I fought a guy that I wanted to beat down on. He's an ass. A bully. In the end, MMA beat him. I out-wrestled him. I wish they hadn't taken the point away from him. It broke the action and ruined my position. He's a dirty-ass fighter and a cheater. He held onto the cage when I had underhooks and also held onto his gloves when in the clinch. Wow. I mean, strong words from Max Griffin. I mean, with the breakfast buffet uh, comment, I don't know how you couldn't uh, indulge in some uh, breaking some eggs pun in- that's, you know, that's puns, awful. But- like, that's right after weigh-ins <laughs> and you're at the breakfast buffet and you have to deal with that stuff like you've just made weight. I mean, God, don't get in between some a fighter who's just made weight and a breakfast buffet. I mean, yes. not, yeah, not the kind of motivation right. you want to give somebody. But Max Griffin gets the win here uh, by majority decision. Flyweight fight was up next. Wilson Hayes, a former title challenger, taking on uh, Alexandre Pantoja, who was once on the uh, the ultimate fighter flyweight season. And was ranked number one on that particular season. Uh, and he looked really great here against a really quality veteran in Wilson Hayes, who's now 34 years old. Uh, Pantoja dropped him with a straight right hand and just lit him up with follow-up strikes. Uh, Wilson Hayes was trying to cover up, but Jason Herzog finally stepped in. Uh, a lot more leeway given for Wilson Hayes than, uh, Boston Salmon. So I could see, uh, Boston Salmon being a little upset if he was just getting to the back and then watching this, where Hayes was definitely given more of the benefit of the doubt. But Pantoja won by TKO, 258 of the first round, and he's quietly now gone 5-1 and one in the UFC's flyweight division. So if there is, in fact, a flyweight division to compete in in six months, he would be someone in the midst of the, the upper echelon, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a statement to build, to beat Wilson Reyes, a, a veteran, uh, somebody who's fought at the highest level in the sport for a long time. Um, so, but you really just raised the, the big question about this whole thing is like, where is the flyweight division? It's like, it doesn't even exist. The, the, the champion is in another weight class fighting for their title. The, the number one contender is in another organization. And, uh, you know, where, where is the other, where are the other guys in the rankings? So it's, you know, and Pantoya, great performance, like finished a quality veteran. Um, but it just feels like this whole thing is in purgatory. Yeah. That's just the state of this flyweight division. And I mean, there's probably not going to be any clear answers until after Henry Cejudo fights, uh, Marlon Marias, which is two months away. So it really sucks to be a flyweight right now because there's just absolutely no clarity to this division at the moment. I would assume if Henry Cejudo wins that fight, that would not that that would not give a lot of confidence in the future of this flyweight division. Uh, no, I mean if if he beats Marlon Marias, becomes the bantamweight champion, beat the previous bantamweight champion, it's it's what's what's going down to flyweight where it doesn't really seem like there's any contenders available. Um, Bantamweight, there's lots of contenders available, and it's just a better story about the the smaller guy moving up. So um, the flyweight, the flyweight situation has looked grim, and 
the the way that the UFC is sort of uh, putting these people or are this division on like a slow drip of uh, of death is is, is just this sort of like sad state of affairs. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we just have to digest it as is. That needs to be their their final night. <laughs> UFC two forty <240, laughs> slow drip of death. <laughs> All flyweight card. <laughs> Win, you keep a job at another weight oh class, you lose, you're fired. <laughs> God, the volatility of being a UFC fighter. Uh, Jalen Turner took on Matt Fravola in the the featured prelim bout on ESPN. Yeah, featured. Well, I guess, I guess, you know what? The, when you said it like that, may, this is actually maybe what you're supposed to do. Maybe you're supposed to take the two guys who people don't know and feature them in the premier television slot, right? Because uh, I never heard of either of these guys before. And uh, I mean, do, it was do you realize that on on Saturday night, if you consider the <laughs> fact that you're looking at pay per view homes, that I mean, this was probably one of the lowest seen pay per views just because of the switch to. ESPN Plus. You're going from a universe of 100 million homes to ESPN Plus has 2 million subscribers of who may have ordered this pay-per-view. That the most eyeballs may have been on Jalen Turner and Matt Fravola on Saturday. <laughs> it's, it's yes, it's it, it's a it's a bit strange, but it was a pretty entertaining fight, uh, even though it was um, a pretty clear decision one way. Um, yeah, the, the, this is an odd card. Like the lineup was a bit strange. Like there was some solid names on hit, on it, but it was driven by the two the the that two yeah. main events. So um, there was definitely bigger names on the undercard than Frivola and Turner. Um, but it felt like they were trying to, I guess, showcase Turner a little bit, but it didn't play out that way. Um, Turner is six inches taller than Matt Fravola. He had a six-inch six reach advantage over him as well. He was the favorite going into this. Uh, this was a lightweight bout. Uh, but Matt Fravola just – he latched on to a single leg, and he just rode this throughout the fight. And Jalen Turner had a lot of problems uh, with, with the – you know, the, the wrestling skill of Matt Frivola. Uh, at one point, uh, Matt Frivola had a mounted guillotine in the first round, but uh, Turner, to his credit, he was able to get out of a lot of bad positions. He just wasn't uh, able to put Frivola in too many of his own. Uh, in the second round, he did uh, he did go for a guillotine into a Dars choke, but couldn't complete it on Frivola, who then just got up. And at the end of the round, this was maybe the most contentious part of the fight, Frivola landed this illegal upkick, and Turner was really hurt by this upkick. And the referee was uh, the referee here was Mark Goddard, and he was explaining that it grazed him. And you could see this replay, and the announcers were calling it out. This was flush in the face, this upkick. And I think this is the frustration, Phil, with a lot of fighters, is that it's just a lack of consistency that – you may grab the fence and you're going to get two or three warnings and no point deduction. You might be in the case of uh, Zalim uh, from earlier who got the point deduction. And like this, this upkick, I mean, this was a flagrant fa foul. It's like to me, the fouls, I don't care if it was intentional or not. It's still a foul. So I, I think that these fighters, they're just they don't know what 
necessarily can, can I get away with a foul? Like, can we just make this clear? Well, the, the unfortunate history is that fighters can get away with fouls, that the rules are, are more guidelines because groin strikes, eye pokes have been effective tactics for as long as I've been watching MMA. They rarely result in point deductions. Occasionally they result in, uh, you know, no contests. Uh, but yeah, like it, it does seem like you can do these tactics. I actually didn't think I, I this is an interesting card because we have a little bit of uh, different opinion on a few things here. I, I didn't think that the the foul was so egregious. Um, I didn't think it was a graze. I mean, it was a flush shot, but it, it looked like Turner was really milking it as far as I was concerned. And it was it was very scrambly the situation. It wasn't. It didn't feel like Frivola was just like sort of like firing his kicks, and and Turner was sort of like up and down a little bit, and and he was sort of trying to um, pass the guard with sort of like uh, um, like double underhooks under the legs, and so I didn't think it was it was it was point deduction worthy in that instance but pertaining to your question specifically it almost doesn't matter because it's just fouls in general don't go uh punished in mma so that's no doubt frustrating for fighters who do follow the rules is is there any other option because one of the big um arguments against it is that in a three-round fight a point deduction is significant like that's that could be very much the difference between a win or a draw is like, would you be in favor that a foul is a foul regardless of intent, but it's something like positional control or something that you are, you are flagged for a foul regardless of how egregious it is. It's, it's a rule that's been broken that there is some penalty that the, the perpetrator has to, has to be given. Or are yeah, we just so going yeah, into too much no, of a confusing no, no. territory if they I mean, go that it, way? It, I mean, it really depends on, on like, uh, I, I'm not opposed to that idea. It's really just like creative implementation. It's mm-hmm. like if you think about other sports, like a, a game like basketball, every foul should be called. And they do call every foul, and it often leads to a very dry game, especially in the last couple of minutes. Um. In MMA, you know, there's no real mechanism for that. I'm, I'm curious if uh, this this just occurred to me. What if there was some sort of pride style system for fouls? So rather than the um, it, the default behavior is that if a foul has occurred and that the the referee has ruled that there is a foul. Even if it if it doesn't need to like say break the flow of competition or just you just maybe do a reset a stand up reset depending on the situation then you you yellow card the fighter and they lose a percentage of their purse and that's given to the the opposing fighter that that might that's I don't know that's sort of an idea that just came to me because that might that would certainly discourage fouls there'd be a clear penalty but it wouldn't be such a dramatic penalty that it would result in a win or a loss for a fighter. Um, I think that would be really tough to get through commissions. And I, I also feel that there would be 
Well, there would definitely be a backlash that you have some of these guys who are making so little that you're going to take more of their money away from them. Um, that said, I, I don't know if the UFC would necessarily be all that concerned about whatever backlash they would get for something like that. But it would, I, I don't know if that would necessarily fly in North America to do like the, the, the yellow card that pride kind of made famous. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sort of just, you know, we're playing like a barbershop here. Uh, I think, you know, to, to sort of combat that idea a little bit, um, you know, it's like, oh, people would go against it. You're taking more money away. It's like, well, if you don't commit fouls, we don't need to take any money away. Right. You're you're going to get your money. So it's like it's your fault. That it's it's all in your control as a fighter. Um, but yeah, I mean, the real the reality of it is is not realistic. I mean, I think actually probably the simplest solution would be to have um, a different scoring system. And then you, so taking a point isn't so dramatic. If, if the scoring system w- was, was more I'm granular all, I'm all in favor of, of that. So, yeah. So if the scoring system was more granular, uh, referees would have more discretion to take points away. And so, um, perhaps that's a better solution, but that was, I mean, yeah. for, for the longest time, people were talking about, well, introducing half points. It was like, we don't have to necessarily get into half points. How about we just use all the points that are available? Like, I'm pretty sure when I went to school, there are numbers that go below eight. I think those can be used on a 10-point must system. Yes, yes. I, I, I uh, See, where we, where we get into the difficulties is then it's like, okay, well – does a fighter win around 10-6 and then the next fighter wins the round 10-8 and then another fighter and then in the third round it's like it's like 10-9 and is like is all is that dramatic win from the first round worth more than 2 and 3 combined so it, it's it's not it's it's just there's so many issues that go into it when you when you really want to dive deep and um i definitely don't have an answer for it i only have these like sort of spontaneous ideas and unfortunately we haven't really seen much change in the way that mma has been judged and uh refed in the last uh 15 years so it's only 2.30 in the morning. We could completely transform the <laughs> entire MMA landscape, Phil, you and I. Uh, so uh, anyway, Matt Frivola won this whole fight uh, by unanimous decision. Uh, I did score all three rounds for Matt Frivola, upkick included. Yes, yes. Frivola got it, grinded it out, managed to close distance. The idea of closing distance was a big story of this event. And Frivola was able to get inside the range, take him down, and and you know I was impressed by Frivola. I I was like, yeah, this guy's uh, pretty good. I want to see him again. Yeah, I, I think Jalen Turner. He's he's a quality opponent. I was favoring him in this fight. So Matt Frivola. I mean, he was the underdog for a reason, and I thought he certainly uh, performed very well here. So that take a, took us to the pay per view portion, and it kicked off with a light heavyweight fight, a rematch. From March of 2014, uh, this between Ovin St. Pru and Nikita Krylov. The fight that, man, as soon as that fight ended, I was actually at that fight. It was in Dallas, Texas. Which oh, was, I love Dallas. Which I love was, it. Great city. Uh, it's a great city. Uh, produced a tremendous television show. And that, that <laughs> yeah. just to 
put this all in perspective, Phil, that night featured Johnny Hendricks defeating Robbie Lawler to become the new welterweight oh, champion. Oh, wow. In the first of their two fights, right? Yes, yeah. The first yeah. one. That was a good fight. Both of those fights were really good. Wow. And now Robbie Lawler still fighting and Johnny Hendricks uh, not in the UFC. Not in the UFC. Not getting paid by Bare Knuckle FC or or another Bare Knuckle fighting company. Yeah, his career has gone in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this fight, uh, in the first round, Ovin St. Peru executed three takedowns, which John Anik noted was the most he has ever completed uh, in a fight. And he did this all in the first round. And in the second round, we learned why he is not necessarily high on takedowns because this dude was tired. And mm-hmm. in between rounds, his corner is yelling at him, you don't get tired. And I think that Ovin St. Peru was thinking, I definitely get tired because I am tired right now. And he went out into the second round. Krylov connected with a right hand, got his own takedown into mount, and then took the back, flattened out St. Peru, and submitted him with a rear naked choke. So each has a submission victory over the other. I can only imagine that five years from now, we will get the trilogy fight between Ovin St. Peru and Nikita Krylov. Well, only only if our prayers are answered, John, because uh, we were clamoring for this one, and now we're clamoring for the uh, the third one. Uh, it was a pretty good fight, though. Uh, at first, St. Prue looked like he was just going to do exactly what he did last time. It looked like he was just going to put himself in a position to Von Flew Krylov. He was just like dig- – he looked super – he looked stronger. He was kind of throwing him around. He just buried his head under the armpit. And as, as he started trying to take him down, he was going to just sort of stuff him into that, that Von Flew. And, and, and Krylov just was just cagey and, and, and had grit and got up and, and, and kept fighting. And then, yeah, it was pretty clear by about a minute, minute and a half to go in the, in the first that uh, St. Prue was pretty tired. And Krylov poured it on, and then by the by the second, it was it was pretty evident that Saint Prue had nothing left. Krylov took over, got the takedown, got the mount, and then just pounded him out, forced him to go to his back, and finished the fight. Uh, pretty good uh, fight, and I was you know joking about this this uh, rematch, like you know nobody was really. Uh, dying for it but it was a really entertaining fight so i'm not one to complain yeah it was a good comeback for krylov in the in the second round saint Prue has now lost two in a row and three of his last four so i think that this uh, certainly takes him out of that kind of middle of the pack of the light heavyweight division so curious um where Ovin saint Prue goes now i mean he's kind of had his his kind of uh flirtation with the top of that division and is clearly out of it now Alan Joban versus Dwight Grant. This was a fight this audience hated. Uh, they went three rounds. Uh, it was a very technical fight, as the announcers noted, because uh, they didn't want to say anything disparaging against these two. Uh, it, it was just a case, I think, of both guys certainly aware of the other's power. And Alan Joban kind of uh, bookended this fight with takedowns, but did not seem to interested in wrestling uh, throughout the duration of the 15 minutes, but got a takedown at the beginning of the round uh, in the first. And Grant was just, to me, just like edging past the first two rounds and just doing enough with his strikes. But it was a lot of Grant backing backing up, but 
using lots of feints. Both guys would get into this rhythm of fainting, but really not being able to figure out the other. And then in the third round, uh, Joban ended the fight really strong with the, uh, his takedown and landing some strikes on top. I had a 29-28 for Dwight Grant, and the audience uh, just, man, they just booed the hell out of this fight. This seemed to be the the low point of the night. Yeah, it, it was, well, it started off great. Like, the first 15, 30 seconds, they were just firing at each other. Jermaine came out hot, Grant had power, and then they both kind of landed big shots, and then they were like, oh, L, this guy can uh, can can hurt me, and then it turned into like really cat and mouse with with Joban like sort of like pressing on the outside at distance, Grant fainting trying to get that uh, counter shot, and it, it never really materialized into any action at all until the third round and like super late where Joban just sort of. Spun, took his back quick, landed some strikes, and, and it, you know, didn't do a lot. Um, I can understand the frustration of the crowd in this particular fight. I mean, the whole night was pretty good as well, and that doesn't help. Like, when you have a lot of exciting fights and then a fight like this, people are quicker to go to the booze. Um, I, I think Joe Bent fought a little bit too timid here. I did score it for him. Like I gave him the second and third, but they're like razor thin rounds. Not a lot happened. And like Joe Bennett acted after the decision came down that like oh, it was, was the most egregious. Uh, yeah, it was like the most egregious uh, result ever. And it's like, you know, I can understand how you thought you won. But, you know, you also have yourself to blame here. You know, what did you do to really finish this fight other than that that last 10, 10 seconds? Uh, one one ref had it 30-27 for Jobin, which, yeah. which is like another crazy score. Yeah, Dwight Grant uh, got the split decision. He had two scores of 29-28. And then, yeah, the one uh, complete opposite of a 30-27 card for Alan Joban, who was just uh, livid at this decision. But uh, Dwight Grant improves to 10 and 2. Joban falls to 16 and 7. And then we get into the top three fights. And there was lots to talk about from all three of these, starting off with Khalil, Mr. Muay Thai, Roundtree Jr., who looks like he's been uh, kicking uh, some trees around of late uh, with his kicks. I tried very hard there. It failed miserably. <laughs> uh, taking on Eric Anders. This was a light heavyweight fight. And my God, Khalil Roundtree, uh, he has been training in Thailand and has come back a completely different fighter. The story of the first round was this guy's inside leg kicks. And they sounded like baseball bats connecting with the side of a of a wall. Uh, just blistering Eric Anders with these leg kicks. Then... The second round occurs, and the second round, Roundtree decided, I'm going to give my legs a bit of a break because I've got this right hand, and it's got a target, and it is Eric Andrews' face, and he proceeded to knock this dude down four times in this round. It was amazing that this fight lasted as long as it did. Um, I thought, Phil, this was a 10-7 round, and there were many people that agreed with me. Did you go that far in round two? Because I, I don't know if I've seen a round 
I mean, you could isolate maybe a few rounds in MMA history, but man, four knockdowns. I think you can make the argument. I do think you can make the argument. I didn't go that far. I had it as 10, eight. Um, I guess my justification is each of those knockdowns, the sort of like the dropped Anders, he went to like his hands and posted, but he was never like in a situation where he was dazed and, and, and Roundtree could like step in and try to finish the fight. There was always like a big shot that sort of just like, it was just so powerful that it knocked him down, but didn't like disorient him. And, uh, I mean, that's just sort of like a, a fine line. I, I guess it's a bit subjective, but it, for me, it wasn't a 10 seven, but they were, they were some clubbing shots. It like the first knockdown that he got looked like he would like his fist was a mace that he was just like swinging off a chain and just like plucked him right beside the ear. And, uh, he just like crumbled, um, it was a very, very impressive performance by Roundtree. Those kicks were devastating. They put together a highlight pack of the leg kicks. And my God, Joe Rogan was so happy listening to these kicks like throughout the round. Like he was giddy with joy of watching these kicks. Um, Khalil Roundtree, he won this by unanimous decision. All three judges scored at 30 26. So going 10 8 in the second round. I thought it was 30 25. But, man, Khalil Roundtree, man, he was <laughs> – up until the top two fights, this guy was like the star of the show for me. I thought, man, this guy who came off Ultimate Fighter uh, just seemed like he was going to be a perennial light heavyweight fighter. And, God, he looked outstanding here. I can't wait for this guy to fight again and who he's matched up with next at 205 pounds. Yeah, I mean, he's got – he had a, a very – I mean, he beat – he knocked out Gokun Saki, which is for anyone who's familiar with Saki's career in kickboxing, that's incredibly impressive. Um, he, you know, he had a tough loss to Johnny Walker, but Johnny Walker looks like he's, you know, potentially somebody who could be challenging for a title fairly soon. So, um, I, I do like Roundtree. The kicks were amazing. Uh, I'm, I am looking forward to seeing him again. Um, who to match him up with? Uh, I don't know. Maybe Ozdemir or or somebody else. Uh, you know, higher up in the division. Uh, yeah, he he looks very impressive. Yeah, he's going to get. I think you know a fairly fairly big name. I would assume at at light heavyweight, not necessarily a championship level, but maybe you know your level of a. Mm, I don't know, like the loser of Gustafson, Anthony Smith. Maybe that's even too high, but. Anyway, he he looked tremendous. I think the light heavyweight, it's it's kind of it's there's a big gap between the top end of the division and then everybody else. And I think he separated himself from that that lower end to be, um, you know, a, a quality guy in that top ten. I mean, I know he's coming off a loss, but Sirkinov kind of makes some sense because Sirkinov has fought some of those top guys, and he also just lost to Johnny Walker. So you know, I know they don't like to do wins off of losses fights, but in terms of uh, figuring out where um, Roundtree stands, I think that would be a good matchup. So then we head into our two championship fights of the night, starting off with Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum for the interim middleweight title to set up Robert Whitaker's next fight. This fight was unbelievable. 
uh, a fight that you have to go out of your way to see if you did not. It started out in the first round with Kelvin Gastelum tagging Adesanya with a right hand, and it was the most we have seen Adesanya in any kind of danger since this guy only debuted last February. He's already fighting for, albeit an interim championship. Uh, but Gastelum wins the first round after this this right hand that tags Adesanya, and he's forced to retreat. And Gastelum is just throwing his left hand, and he is looking to knock Adesanya out. We go to the second round. Adesanya, he comes back and drops him with the, a right hand of his own. And Gaslam gets back to his feet, and Adesanya just takes advantage. And you can see him really finding his rhythm and connects with a spinning elbow that rocks Gaslam. So we've got it even going into the third. And this is where they're trading punches and kicks. Adesanya lands a counter right and a knee that follows that up. And then Gaslam gets a takedown. But Adesanya just kicks him off and gets right back to his feet, which was quite the statement after being taken down and just immediately getting up. Fourth round, Gastelum comes out very aggressive, and Adesanya is going for shots to the body, but Gastelum ends up landing a head kick that rocks Adesanya. So after four rounds, I had it even. This thing, this place is going nuts. Like These guys are throwing everything at one another and displaying a ton of power. Adesanya is showing incredible speed throughout this as well. And it lined up for the fifth round, which was a big round for Israel Adesanya. He was able to, they had this incredible sequence where Gaslam decided to shoot for the takedown. Adesanya went for a standing guillotine. So they scramble with Gaslam going into his guard as Adesanya goes for a triangle that Gaslam escaped from. And this was all just seamless from one submission attempt to the next. But as they got back up, Adesanya starts teeing off on him, rocks him with the right hand, and Adesanya proceeds to drop him three times before the end of this round. And Gastelum is, he's got nothing left. I, I think, I think people would have been upset if this got stopped with 30 seconds to go after this war. But I think you could have justified it. He looked like he had really taken a lot of damage by the end. But this does go the distance. And I scored this 48, 46 for Israel Adesanya, uh, I can't say enough great things about this fight. I think this is going to hands down be fight of the year in 2019. Uh, it, it was it was definitely incredibly exciting. Like the the, the fight was back and forth. I mean, Ke- Kelvin Gastelum, you can't really say many more. This guy is just he's a really great fighter. He, this even was the defining losses. fight of his career. I think yeah. e- even in losing, I think everyone has an enormous level of appreciation for where this guy is. And the fact that he is 27 years old, um, you know, Adesanya wins this fight. He won it convincingly for me. But, man, I thought Gaslam's star grew that much more as well from a classic like this. Yeah, Gastelum, I mean, being so much shorter, his ability to close the distance and land his shots in this fight was really amazing against someone who so, has so much more experience in uh, the kickboxing side of things. Um, Gastelum and, and like he, the, the, the height difference, it, it was, it was really, it was really amazing to see him approach his game plan throughout this fight and, and looked tremendous. And then Israel, his ability to adjust, take over and to let that 
area of difference in the striking, that experience, because Kelvin's skill was so close, but it was Israel's experience that allowed him to take advantage of those small differences and, and get those knockdowns. And then in the grappling, it turned out that Israel's pretty good. I mean, it was, uh, you know, he, he was threatening himself. Uh, it, it was a very exciting fight. Um, and uh, everybody's stock rises. Israel, you know, dug deep, found ways to, to win this fight after getting hit with huge shots that a uh, couple nearly put him on his butt. I don't think he expected that uh, Kelvin was going to touch him so much. But, yeah, he dug deep and fought like a champion and earned a well-deserved victory in what was a tremendous fight. Yeah, I, I think that people are going to look back at this, I think, as as one of the great UFC fights of all time. I think it's it was that impressive a fight. And I just look back at two months ago. Like, this was a totally different Israel Adesanya than the one that fought Anderson Silva. Well, it was a different threat. Like the Gastelum was able to really catch him. Like Israel was generally able to avoid most of Silva's strikes, and also the way that Silva fights. It's like he's a counter striker himself, but Gastelum just brought it to to Israel and had the pace, and he had the gas tank up until the last minute. But that was, I think, just more he was going for it, and Israel was just pouring it on him, which is why he, he ended up uh, getting tired at the end there. Um, so I, I, so yes, it was a totally different fighter in, especially in that sense that how he had to dig deep. Like I can't say enough. It, it, it like, it, it reminded me of Jones versus Gustafson. Me, like, me too. I immediately a, thought of that. I think that this is, that's going to be a debate uh, among those two fights. Yeah, and and that one, like Jones had never been tested. I mean, uh, did did Jones Gustafson happen before or after Vitor? Like uh, that one happened after. It was a year okay. After. So so Vitor, you know, he almost got an armbar, but it was you know, I mean, it was like a sort of scary situation. But really, John dominated the fight. He didn't need to dig deep, but you know, in the Gustafson fight, he needed to dig deep in that fifth round and find a way to win, and. It was the same thing here with uh, Israel Adesanya. He needed to find a way to win that round. The fight could have gone either way, and he did. And not just he didn't just win the round. You know, he put a statement on it. It was a ten eight. So it, uh, an incredible, incredible fight. Really, one of the best fights I have ever seen. And we still had a main event to follow this, and that was bestowed upon Max Holloway and Dustin Poirier to determine the interim lightweight champion and i mean this fight was on any other night this would have been hands down uh the fight of the night and i think even coming out of tonight you had two fight of the year contenders but unfortunately on this night i think it belonged to adesanya and gastelum but uh this fight the first round you're thinking wow they might actually top this because they proceeded to start this this fight with Poirier landing, he threw 106 shots in the first round, connecting with 65 of them. Uh, Holloway throwing 56 significant strikes and landing 24 of them. So you had an unbelievable pace that they were starting out here. Uh, it was a really big round for Dustin Poirier in the first, uh, just landing with a ton of flurries on Max, who was having trouble with his right eye from one of the punches. And 
This was a big Dustin Poirier round to start. Uh, did you go so far as a 10-8 in the first? I didn't, I didn't go so far as a 10-8 in the first because there were points of the round where, where, where Max was doing his like peppering style where he was able to land a few shots, but definitely we saw that Poirier had a, a considerable power advantage and he was landing well at range and, uh, was hurting Holloway badly. Yeah, it was the, the kind of uh, damage we had not seen Max Holloway take. Um, it was it was pretty overwhelming for him in the in the first round. In the second, Poirier kind of continued, uh, not at the same pace as the first round, but still was able to wobble Holloway with a right hook and had a big end to the round as well with with his his striking. So I had Poirier clearly ahead after three rounds, uh, after two rounds rather. In the third, that's when Holloway kind of. Uh, came back he was able to start pouring it on and just uh started his big volume striking and it was a problem for for Poirier who ended up just trying to shoot for a takedown to stop Max's momentum and in trying to shoot against the fence uh Holloway just starts drilling him with elbows to the side of the head so this was a, a turnaround round for Max Holloway who won the third into the fourth Poirier gets a takedown, but Holloway gets up and he's teeing off with these big shots. Holloway then goes to the body and Poirier ends up landing a knee to the face of Holloway and it busts open this nasty vertical cut uh, right on his forehead going down towards his nose. It was a really brutal cut that he suffered. I still gave the round to Max Holloway. I thought he did more damage throughout this round, although the most significant strike belonged to Dustin Poirier. Yeah, I had it exactly the same way. I thought, it, it, you're, I guess I'm not supposed to judge a fight in the context of knowing who the fighter is, but Max Holloway is is a volume fighter. And in that third round, he was, or sorry, the fourth round rather, and the third round, he was getting his volume going. And and the 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 fight was changing. Poirier was slowing down. Max was getting going. So I, I gave him the round, even though uh, Poirier did land that big knee uh, right at the end. So going into the fifth round, um, you, you could see that the, the previous four rounds had taken a toll on both of them. Uh, Poirier is still putting his combinations together. And then towards the end, he pretty much neutralized Max Holloway by holding him against the cage. And they had a brief exchange right in the final seconds of the fight. Uh, I felt Dustin Poirier won the fifth round. I had it 48-46 for Dustin Poirier. I did go 10-8 for the first round. Um, but even if you're scoring it with a 10-9, I think most here believe Dustin Poirier won. What was your score? Yeah, I had it 48-47. I did give Poirier 1, 2, and 5. Um, he dug deep. He, he, he found a way to put his combinations together. Once again, in that fifth round, Max fought well. Like Max was still there in the fifth, but uh, Poirier was able to do enough in the first half of the round to secure it. And then he just used his wrestling to neutralize um, Max for the last 90 seconds and sort of coast to that. I mean, that was kind of like the only downside of this fight was that last 90 seconds where Poirier was just sort of like do just holding him against the cage and no criticism against Poirier. Like, he, you know, you were just in a war. You're trying to secure that win, secure your title. Uh, and your big uh, pay-per-view event with uh, Habib. So not a criticism, but from an entertainment standpoint, it was the only – it was a slow part. Um, but 
Poirier very well deserved, very well polished performance, sharp boxing, weathered the storm of Holloway. You know, he got tired at points, but he was always able to recover, get second wins, and, and really execute his game. Had a clear power advantage. You look at the damage that happened in this fight, Max Holloway definitely took the brunt of the damage. Yeah. Um, uh, it just th- This was a phenomenal card. These last two fights were uh, two of the very best fights you were going to see this year. I thought this was an excellent show just off of those two as well. Um, so I-, I thought a pretty memorable card here with uh, UFC 236, and they gave out two fight of the night bonuses uh, to Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway and uh, Dwight Grant versus Alan Jovan. <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> Uh, yes, Gaslam and Adesanya getting the other bonus, so I don't think anyone is going to be arguing uh, those particular bonuses. I wonder, Phil, how like you obviously are moving towards uh, Dustin Poirier and potentially uh, Habib Nurmagomedov, although Conor McGregor has weighed in telling Dustin that he will be fighting Nate Diaz next. Uh, that being Dustin will be fighting Nate Diaz next uh, from matchmaker Conor McGregor. Do you see of these four, do you see these guys taking extended breaks after fights like this? Because I'm certain that they could uh, definitely argue that they should take an extended break after five rounds of this level. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly well-deserved, but um, in the case of Poirier, uh, he's unfortunately in a position where he's sort of beholden to the the champ. Um, actually, Habib tweeted that... Uh, uh, just uh, right after the main event that uh, he said uh, Poirier's achievement so far cannot be denied. My congratulations, Dustin. See you in September. And so um, if Habib wants a fight in September, that's when Habib's going to get a fight. And uh, so if, if Poirier, I mean, that seems like a reasonable amount of time for Poirier to chill, rest, heal and, and do a training camp. Um, and then but, Adesanya and Robert Whitaker, if they do that fight in Australia, if, I mean, yeah, like that, you can easily put that in a stadium in Australia. Oh yeah, I, I it, it almost feel like they were almost talking like they wanted to rush Whitaker back. This is this is one of those situations where you know the UFC already has booked a bunch of venues throughout the year, yeah, and they probably don't have Australia again on the card. So if they're gonna just put it. Down the law, if if they decide that they want to put in Australia, it it may have to go way later in the year. Or if or the alternative to that is they change another date, which could happen too. It's like, do they change an August date because just that that potentially that's just the availability. Although I can't imagine they want to be fighting in Australia in August. Right. I'm just looking at the lineup of events that they have that they have announced so far and you know it's it's a great point that they have all of the stuff booked in advance whether they've announced it or not but that fight just yeah sounds... it's just it's the cities like they, they, yeah. they don't necessarily know who's going to be on any card right but yeah. it's just like they know what markets need shows and and they book them you know to a certain degree with, you know, the arenas and and all of the important venues because like in busy cities you have to book those events. You know, you can go to Iowa on short notice, 
But, uh, you know, major markets, you need to be prepared well in advance. Robert Whitaker, Israel Adesanya, coming to Elbert. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that uh, wraps up UFC 236. Uh, an excellent card. Uh, so definitely go check out those two championship fights if you have not seen them. Uh, Phil, before we go, I know it's already very late, but every year you tune in for one wrestling show each year. Oh. How did you feel about WrestleMania this year? Wow, wow, John! I'm, 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 I'm I was not expecting this. This is uh, a curveball. Yeah, yeah, but uh, thanks for asking. So, yeah, um, so John and I actually met several years ago, uh, where we worked at the same movie theater, and at that time, <coughs> we had a crew of friends who we would watch uh, WWE events with. <coughs> at that time, excuse me. Uh, it was WWF and it was the Attitude Era. And so I watched a lot of wrestling. And then um, I guess uh, once I left that uh, workplace, I, I just – I didn't watch any wrestling for a while. And then I got back in touch with John a few years ago. And so I started – I've watched WrestleMania uh, every year for the last few. And uh, it was great. I, I was really entertained. The product was really fun and, and I was sort of surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And so this year, I, I did tune in for a portion of the broadcast. I saw the opening. I saw Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins, and I thought that was pretty cool. I thought um, the production value of the show was tremendous. I think that pretty much any television broadcaster could learn from how um, the WWE presents their product. Uh, there was it, it was just fun. I, I just think that the way that the WWE has this they keep referring to the wwe universe and like when you think of like something like the marvel universe or the game of thrones or star wars universe it's just these series of characters and storylines and and locations that are part of the mythology of those uh franchises with wwe that's true you have the characters the history but it feels like the fans are really part of the the universe as well and the events, they feel like real family-type celebrations. And even though I don't know the storylines, I don't know why Kofi um, – what's his last – Kingston is yeah. so um, is so popular because I didn't follow the storyline that led him to his title shot. Like it, But the emotion of him winning and celebrating with his children and, you know, yes, it's, it's predetermined. But it, this is somebody who was probably fell in, was in love with wrestling as a child and worked his way his entire life and dreamed of becoming the, the world champion. And now it's happened. And, and it's just such a great feeling. Um, and so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I, th I thought it was a really good event. Um, I wasn't able to uh, stick around to the end. The, like uh, 1 a.m. on a Sunday night is, is ludicrous. I mean, frankly, 3 a.m. on a Saturday night is pretty ludicrous. <laughs> so, but uh, but I, I like the energy of the show. And for me, it's 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 not something that I can watch regularly. But it, it's entertaining. And I appreciate the effort that the performers put into it. It's my favorite email or text I get once a year where you just, oh, you send me your WrestleMania I, thoughts. It's like your one show oh. a year and I, I get your perspective on it because I, I definitely I, I like to hear like you from someone that followed it, but certainly not following it regularly. Like what connects and what does not work for you? 
Yeah, I, 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 it's funny because I remember, I don't remember, I think it was the first year that I watched WrestleMania or any wrestling in maybe like 15 years or so. And there was a match on there. I don't recall what it was, but I liked it. I, I think there was like some MMA related stuff in it or something. I don't, this is all blurry. But then I went online and it looked like all the like hardcores hated this match. And, uh, and it was, and I think that's what inspired me to send you the, the, e- the email about my thoughts because I was like, maybe John would be curious to think what somebody who doesn't follow this regularly thinks. And so, um, yeah. Uh, so I, I didn't see, I didn't see the opinions of this year's WrestleMania. So I don't know if people had, uh, positive attitudes to it. Although I heard that people were generally positive towards, uh, the main event. Uh, yeah, it was, I think the, the, the consistent criticism was the length of the show. And uh, I think, I think that the women were kind of hurt going on that late in the show. Um, you know, there was also a lot of high expectations for that match. Um, they've had better, um, but it was, it was a very long show. It clocked in, it was like seven and a half hours, which I mean, tonight's UFC was actually longer than that. So, um, I certainly feel the pacing of a UFC show is better because you do have, Fight ends and it's almost like a mini break between before your next fight. It's mm-hmm. not go yeah. go go segment after segment after segment where I feel you would certainly feel it uh, that much long. And tonight it's not as though y- you still had like nine decisions on this card tonight, but I-, I still felt it was a show that moved very quickly, even though it was longer than what I sat through last Sunday. Yeah, I think that well, I, one thing that's interesting. I would say about being in attendance perhaps uh, of both events rather than watching them on television is, you know, a UFC event, if you're going to attend live, you really decide when you're going to show up. It's like, okay, am I going to show up, you know, for the prelims or the early prelims, or do I just want to care about the main card? And, you know, in Vegas, sometimes people just show up just for the main event. Um, But it feels like in WWE, the crowd is such a part of the television experience that they have to be there from like the first second of the day. So like you couldn't you couldn't start a WWE event with like, you know, 50 percent of the seats and then people filling it in with their signs and, and, you know, the the fanfare. Um, So it's almost like because the fans are there um, the whole time, it's more draining. Well, that is going to put a bow on this UFC 236 post show. Phil, thank you as always for joining me for this extended edition as we wrap things up here at 3 in the morning. Uh, the UFC will be back on pay-per-view next month with uh, UFC 237 from Brazil, headlined by Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade, plus Anderson Silva versus Jared Cannonier. That's a great fight. What a great fight. We've also got Jose Aldo, Alexander Volkanovsky. Oh, oh another good one. Antonio Rogerio Noguera versus Ryan Spann. And kicking off the pay-per-view, Tiago Elvis versus Loriano Staropoli. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's great. And and even better is BJ Penn versus Clay Guida. I mean, the the I mean, if the people who were clamoring for Krylov versus St. Prue two and now three are now are the same people who are clamoring for BJ Penn versus Clay Guida. So we get it. You, you, you people can be quiet now. 
So that is when Phil and I will be back uh, after that show. <laughs> if, if Phil will join us, Phil might be busy that night. We'll we'll find out the week of. <laughs> but Phil, uh, thanks as always for uh, keeping me company here. It's always great chatting uh, these cards with you. And uh, good morning to everyone else that is uh, listening. So that is it. Go to postwrestling.com. Check out all of that. Phil, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything you want the people to go check out? No, no, just, yeah, check out Post Wrestling. Check out all the coverage that John and Wei and the, and the rest of the Post Wrestling team have been bringing. It seems like it's just more and more content. I don't know how uh, John has managed to uh, figure out how to have more than 24 hours in a day because it just seems like the amount of content that you produce and the amount of uh, coverage that you're doing, it just seems never ending. Um, so yeah, check all that stuff out. Well, thank you. Thank you kindly. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll chat with you later on this week.